Azrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture this morning, as the scriptures will be each Sunday in Advent, come from the Psalms. This is the 80th Psalm. We've already heard a portion of it this morning in our Advent candle lighting. I'll read uh, some of that portion and a little bit uh, more. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth between Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come save us. Restore us, O God, that your face may shine upon us, that we may be saved. O Lord God, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You've fed them with the bread of tears. You've made them drink tears by the bowlful. You've made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us. You who brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent its boughs out to the sea, and it shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted the sun you've raised up for yourself. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Like many parents, I had the opportunity to hear this refrain from my children at different times. But it's not fair. You're not being fair. Now, I have to uh, confess that when I heard that, it hurt my feelings. But on the other hand, when I got a little distance, I at least thought to myself, well, at least they think I am responsive to fairness. At least they think I have some idea of what fair looks like. But that's a similar sort of thing God must go through because the Psalms are filled with uh, poems and hymns shouting out at God, but it's not fair. You're not being fair. I guess on the bright side, at least God's people think God has an idea of fairness. On the downside, if you look at Psalm 80, these are some pretty serious uh, complaints against God. Uh, The first one basically is this. It says, why don't you wake up? You've been asleep. Get with it. Another um, complaint pretty much goes like this. Uh, it says that um, your, uh, your anger is smoldering. In Hebrew, it's almost like you're holding your breath. You're indifferent to us. You won't even listen when we call. And then the third complaint is this. You're making a mockery of us. You're embarrassing us in front of all of our friends. I've heard that one before. And then finally, maybe the most painful of all is this. You quit on us. You planted us as a vine. You took us from Egypt. And now you let our walls get broken. And you just, you give it up on us. You know, all things considered, I think I'd rather hear complaints from my kids than from God's kids. It's pretty severe stuff. And it leads me to ask this question this morning. Can you talk to God like that? Can you call out God like that? Well, in a word, yes, people do. 
in the Psalms. They don't just do it in Psalm 80. They do it in a number of Psalms. Some of the great he, uh, heroes in the Bible have called God out and have challenged God and bitterly complained to God. Uh, Abraham, when God said, uh, Sodom's pretty wicked. I, I think I'm going to destroy it. Abraham's response is like, God, you're better than that. You know, far be it from you. That, that's not your nature. You don't want to do that. And, and so Abraham cries out to God and they start this negotiation. A little bit later in the Bible, when the people have been freed from Egypt and yet turn around and start worshiping a golden calf, God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'll just start over with you. And this is what God says. I mean, what Moses says to the ruler of the universe. Well, then you can start without me. I don't want that's you're going to be like that. I'm not going with you. I'll just stay here. Why don't you just blot my name out of the book of life? Can you say that to God? And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus himself say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People complain and talk to God like that in the Bible. Some still do today. Scott Hare talked about spending a summer in, in Jerusalem back in 2012. And some of you may remember he said this, that he went down to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall one day, and there was a man crying and weeping uh, almost uncontrollably and uh, calling out almost in anger about the state of the Jews and the state of, of Israel's nation today, just bitterly weeping and complaining to God. People do it. Now, here's what I want you to know this morning. I want you to know that when people cry to God, when they, compl- when they complain to God, they don't do it because they don't believe. They do it because they do believe. The only reason to call out and cry out to God is because you believe God is listening. The only reason to call out and cry out and complain to God about the state of the world today is because you know God can do something about it. Scott talks about 24 hours later going back to the Western Wall, to the Wailing Wall, and that man that had been crying so bitterly the day before and, and railing against God is now laughing at the Wailing Wall almost uncontrollably, and his belly is shaking as he's rejoicing in what God has done for God's people. What I want to share with you this morning is people complain and they cry out to God because they do believe. And they do believe because they have a sense uh, of a relationship with God in which they know something of God's character. So what I thought I'd do is just look at a few of the metaphors that show up in Psalm um, 80. And this morning I'm going to tell you, I think the psalm, the guy writing the psalm, knows a few things about God that might be good for me to know. Here's the first one. One of the things right off that the, the psalmist cries out to God and says, Oh, you who are sitting between the cherubim. You know what cherubim are? Those they're fancy sort of like angels of a, like a higher order with the you know the six wings and um, basically there are carvings of the cherubim on on the top of the ark of the covenant where the ten commandments were kept and where the presence of God was supposed to rest in the temple and so to be between the cherubim is another way of saying God we know you're still on the throne we know you have power we know you can do something about our situation. And if you look at the refrain that we used actually this morning in worship, and it gets used three times in this poem, it, 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 it calls out to God and then says, restore us and make your face shine upon us. But one of the interesting things is each time they call out to God, the ascriptions to God get bigger and bolder. So the first one is, oh God, 
help us, save us. Then the next refrain is, oh God Almighty, help us and sustain us. And then, uh, and I would just love to see the person writing this, at the last verse it's, oh Lord God Almighty. Which is like, we know you can do this. You have the power still to change our situation. So the first thing they know about God is that God has power and is still able to use it. Now, power by itself is not always a wonderful thing, is it? A lot of people, I think, in the, in the old Soviet Union knew that Joseph Stalin had power, but they didn't go to ask him to make things right and fair. In the Star Wars movie, a lot of people know the emperor, Palatine's got power, but you're not asking him to make things fair. So there's something else besides the power of God that the psalmist may know. And I think it's in another um, metaphor. When, when the psalm starts out and says, O shepherd of Israel. Do you know there are only two psalms out of 150 that, that call God shepherd? One is this one, Psalm 80, and the other one you probably already know, the Lord is my shepherd, the 23rd psalm. But uh, shepherding in the Middle East today and in the ancient Near East back then, it's not like a cattle drive in Texas. It's a thing that's uh, a much more gentle and a tender uh, process. Uh, in fact, if you've ever gone to Israel and watched uh, shepherds at work, one thing you'll know is that they often lead from behind, encouraging the sheep. And then what they'll do is they'll throw a rock over the head of the sheep, not at the sheep, in the direction that they want the sheep to move. And the sheep will move because day after day, month after month, they figured out that the shepherd knows where the water is. And the shepherd knows where the grass is. And so out of that trusting relationship, they don't have to be, you know, drive sheep. They are gently led. Ray Vanderland talks about 30 years ago spending six months with some shepherds, a Bedouin tribe. And he said, uh, one day, they, uh, several flocks of uh, shepherds came to the same cave at the same time to get shelter uh, and, uh, for the evening. And so all these flocks are, are sleeping together. And in uh, the next morning, he said, the first Bedouin uh, shepherd that gets up basically says something in Hebrew like, uh, yo, sheep. And all of a sudden, his flock gets up and they start walking in his direction. They know the shepherd, and the shepherd doesn't even have to count. He said the shepherd could tell within moments if he had every one of his sheep or not, without even counting, and then he went off. The relationship was so personal and, uh, and protective. We might even say gentle or tender. And so when you call on God of power and then call God a shepherd, you're saying, I know you can do something about it, and I know you really care about me. Uh, Psalm 56, verse 8, has a real interesting comment about God. It says that what God does is that God takes our tears that we cry in life and puts them in a bottle so that not a single one of them is lost and that our tears are actually recorded in God's book. That's a tender God who knows everything that we've been through. And so they call out because they know God can do something about it. They call out because they know God wants to do something about it because God cares. And then finally, the last metaphor I think is interesting is God sort of gets compared to a vine dresser. Because basically the psalmist says, well, you planted us, you picked us up out of Egypt, and then you hear you, pro you planted us in Israel or in the promised land. 
But the one thing about vine dressers, and uh, you get a sense of it apparently in the text, though it doesn't come across very well in English, is usually the vineyard keeper, the vine dresser, is very proud of the fruit. That there's almost like you took us from Egypt, you planted us, and you were really proud of us, is the sense of the Hebrew there. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because I, I tend, my first thought about God usually is, boy, God must really be disappointed in me. My first thought rarely tends to be, God must really be proud of me. Uh, we, when I went to Turkey with Ray Vanderland, uh, we were walking across a vineyard with, with the owner's permission. In fact, with the owner's excitement. And he spoke no English. We spoke no Turkish. But he, he came over to the vine that he was working on and it, with great excitement and motions and joy told us how it had done. And he kind of was motioning about how he had clipped some and the things he did. And then he got a cluster of grapes from it. And with a huge smile on his face, he showed it to us. He was, in a word, proud. One of the interesting refrains that shows up in this psalm is, make your face shine on us. Now, it means at least two things. One of them is, uh, don't cast your shadow on us. In other words, do something for us. Make your, look on us with favor. But the other thing is it reminds uh, God of what God promised in number six, which is every time the people meet, you always close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you. And it was a way in the psalm that the author is reminding God, remember, you're proud of us and you want to bless us. And when you know those things about God, trusting God's power and yet trusting God's care, then you cry out. And you complain. And occasionally you yell. Because you know God will hear. But to me there's another great thing that happens when you cry out to God. It not only shows that you believe in God and that you trust God wants to hear and do something. But the other great thing about it is uh, even a complaint is a way of keeping a dialogue or discussion going. You know, it's one thing for my children to be upset, shut the door, go in the backyard. Or when they're older, shut the door, run out, get in a car and drive off. It's another for them to sit at the table or at the couch and talk with me about how this is not fair. Even the complaint keeps the dialogue alive. Robert Frost, you'll remember years ago, uh, wrote something, and of course it was put on uh, an epitaph on his grave. He said, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. And what you see in the psalm so often is a lover's quarrel. They complain to God and about God, not because they don't believe, they don't care, or they don't love. It's because they do believe, they do care, and they do love. I had a rabbi uh, some years ago use this metaphor, which really struck me as, as um, uh, really hard, but I've, I've come to appreciate it. He said one of the things about the Psalms is uh, the Psalms, the author and God, are like a married couple having an argument in the kitchen, and they're throwing dishes at each other. He said, but at least they're staying in the kitchen together in the same room. The psalmist may be throwing some dishes at God, but the psalmist is staying in this relationship. There's an old parable from very near Jesus' time about a a king that had two daughters. And one of the daughters was shrill and whiny and just not a whole lot of fun for the king to be in her presence. 
And so she would come to the king and complain and whine and want something. And within seconds, the king would say, okay, you can have it. And she would turn and leave. Then there was another daughter who was more winsome and more enjoyable, more pleasant, more fun to be in her company. And she would come and tell the king what she'd want. He'd say, well, I'll think about it. Come back again later. And the rabbi said, sometimes it's as if God wants to keep that discussion going. And so we don't have everything the moment we want it and the way that we want it. Because at the very least, God knows we'll be back knocking on that door again tomorrow. It's not because we don't believe. It's because we do. You may be familiar with the story from the late Elie Wiesel, who was, of course, in a concentration camp um, with many other Jews. And he he talks about one night, they just had enough, and and the Jewish men decide they're going to put God on trial. And so they appoint a judge, they appoint a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney, And so the prosecuting attorney just starts laying out all the times that God has neglected God's people. The fall of the first temple, Jerusalem. The fall of the second temple of Jerusalem. Slavery, Jews scattered all over the world. Then in countries where they found themselves, pogroms against them, and they're being persecuted again. And then uh, then, uh, Spain in the 15th century where things are really bad against them. And then, of course, now Nazi Germany. And he lays out an eloquent and powerful case And he's just about finished, and the judge says, thank you. Thank you. That'll be enough for right now. And he looks at the gathered crowd and says, because, gentlemen, it's time for our prayers. They had put this wonderful, amazing, powerful case against God. And nevertheless, they still prayed. It's okay to cry. It's okay to complain. It's okay to ask because it's a way of saying to God, it's not fair, but we know that you are here.